please turn to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21, the Lord Jesus Christ speaking, and we're going to be looking at Matthew 21 verses 28 through to 32, and the importance of repentance, the importance of repentance. So Matthew chapter 21 verse 28. But what think ye? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. And he came to the second and said likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Whether of them twain did the will of his father, they say unto him, the first. Jesus saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, And ye believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him. And ye, when ye had seen it, repented not afterward, that ye might believe him. In our passage, the Lord Jesus Christ, he tells a parable about a man who had two sons. He asked each of them precisely the same thing, to work in his vineyard. The son whom he asked first refused outright and no excuses were offered. However, later on he repented and did what his father asked him to do. As for the other son, when the father said to him, Son, go work today in my vineyard, he said, I go, sir. As if in obedience he was going to spring into action, but he never did. At that point, Jesus asked the chief priests and the elders of the Jews, which of the two did their father's will? The question was a no-brainer. It was an easy one to answer, and they answered correctly by saying that it was the repentant son who did the father's will. In answering as they did, they condemned themselves as being people who had seen John the Baptist, they'd heard him preaching repentance, but they did not repent. First of all, we need to understand what repentance is. Repentance simply means having a change of mind. Repentance can be seen in our passage with the first son who was asked to work in his father's vineyard. Initially, he had no intention of doing so. In his response, he could not have been clearer when he said, I will not. However, he repented afterwards and he did his father's will. From that, it's reasonable to deduce that he thought through what his father had asked him to do. He recognised that what his father had asked him to do was reasonable. wasn't asking him to jump off a tower block 
or anything like that, work in my vineyard. Perfectly reasonable. His conscience accused him. He changed his mind and he was determined not to do his will, whatever it may have been at the time. Maybe when he said, no, I will not, maybe he just couldn't be bothered. Or maybe he'd already planned out his day, what he wanted to do, who he wanted to see and so on. But he determined not to do his will, but to do his father's will. Interestingly, a change of mind resulted in a change of conduct, a change of action. We can look at repentance unto salvation. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus told a parable about a son who demanded that his father give him the share of his inheritance. His father wasn't even dead, but he wanted his share of the inheritance. And so his father gave him the money and the son took off. He went to a far land and he blew the lot. He wasted all his inheritance on riotous living. He then got himself a job looking after pigs. Pigs were unclean according to the law and an abomination to the Jews. So that son, he really had reached rock bottom. A good, uh, a Jewish boy looking after pigs and wanting to eat the food that was for the pigs. However, In Luke chapter 15 and verse 17, it is written that he came to himself. In other words, there was repentance. Consequently, in humility, the prodigal son went home to his father, deeply regretting what he had done. A change of mind when he came to himself and it resulted in a change of action. That going home in humility to his father. Significantly, the son acknowledged his sin, not only before his father, but against heaven. In other words, against God. That, dear friends, is true biblical repentance. When your sorrow is not just horizontal, it's vertical, It's a godly sorrow as you recognise and acknowledge that ultimately you have transgressed God's laws. Laws that place upon you a duty to love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength and to love your neighbour as yourself. Clearly that young man hadn't shown a love for his father. His father had every right to ask him to work in his vineyard. And he simply said, I will not. Biblical repentance is directed heavenwards to God. The Bible gives various examples of repentance towards God. In the Old Testament, King David whom the Bible describes as a man after God's own heart, was nevertheless a sinner. 
In fact, he was guilty of adultery and murder in that he arranged to have one of his own soldiers killed in battle and that is after he took that soldier's wife for himself. He took the soldier's wife, he made her pregnant and then he arranged for that soldier, Uriah the Hittite, to be killed in the battle. Terrible thing to do. You might think that David's offences, as bad as they were, were just against that soldier. Stealing that soldier's wife and having him killed. However, more seriously, David had broken God's laws. So his sins were against God. He'd broken God's laws. God's laws which tell us not to commit murder. God's laws which tell us not to commit adultery. God's laws. Consequently, in Psalm 51, verses 2 and 4, we've heard the reading of Psalm 51. We've even sung the first six verses. In in those verses, David prayed, Wash me truly or thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against thee. Thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be judged when thou, when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. That's true repentance against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. David's prayer to God. In the New Testament, in Luke chapter 18, verses 10 through to 14, the Lord Jesus Christ told a parable about two men praying in the temple. Jesus said, Two men went up into the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee and the other a publican. That's a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. You can almost imagine him pointing his finger at that tax collector. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. In other words, the tax collector, he went home saved from his sin. But the Pharisee didn't. Jesus went on to say, For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. In that parable, the Greek word that has been translated merciful 
is not the usual word that's used for merciful so many times in the Bible. It's only used a couple of times and it's all about propitiation or appeasement. What you need to understand is that God is angry with sinners. The wrath of God abides upon all who reject his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. One might say that's the biggest sin of all. We're all sinners. To varying degrees, we've all done bad things. You find as you get older, you you become more aware of just how sinful you are. But the biggest sin of all is rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ. The one whom God sent into the world, his only son, to suffer, to bleed and to die on Calvary's cross, bearing away sin. Turning your back on that overture of love. It's unthinkable, at least it should be unthinkable. So, when the tax collector said, God be merciful to me a sinner, he was praying that God would be appeased, that the wrath, the righteous and holy anger of God would be taken away. What was happening is that whilst the religious Jew, the Pharisee, was blowing his own trumpet, as we are all so good at doing, exaggerating the things we've done and how wonderful we are and pointing the finger at everyone else. That's what the, that's what the Pharisee was doing. The tax collector was doing the opposite. Ashamed of himself, he beat his chest as he pleaded for God's righteous anger to be appeased concerning him. He recognised and he acknowledged that as a hell-deserving sinner, he needed to be reconciled to God through the shedding of sacrificial blood. You may think, well, Glenn, you're reading a bit too much into that now. He would have known enough about the Old Testament to know about the Old Testament blood sacrifices. And for that tax collector to cry out to heaven, God be merciful to me, a sinner. God be appeased. He was was pleading for a blood sacrifice there to appease the wrath of God. That's what he was appealing to. And all of that pointed to an eventual fulfilment in the Lord Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. The prayer and the actions of the tax collector were indicative of him having a repentant heart. What you see going on on the outside, beating his chest and that cry up to heaven, that all pointed to something going on inside his heart. Repentance. We can consider repentance and faith. That is the gateway into the kingdom of God. So I'm introducing faith into this now. We've considered repentance. Let's bring faith into it. Coming back to our passage in Matthew chapter 21 
about the vineyard owner and his two sons. In verse 31 and 32, the Lord Jesus Christ, he said to the chief priests and the elders, Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. The tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. He was Jesus was saying that to these religious Jews full of self-importance. That tax hated tax collectors and prostitutes would enter into the kingdom of God before them. They would have felt very offended. Jesus said, For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and ye believed him not. Ye believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him. And ye, when ye had seen it, repented not afterward, that ye might believe him. So you've got belief and repentance there. We can see from those words that going into the kingdom of God is conditional upon repentance, but not just repentance. Repentance and believing the gospel of Christ. That is very important to understand in your mind and understand deep in your heart. Certainly John the Baptist preached a message of repentance. For example, in Mark chapter 1 and verse 4, it is written that John the ba- John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission or the forgiveness of sins. He preached repentance. His ministry was to prepare men's hearts for the coming of Jesus. And he did that by preaching repentance. But he didn't stop with repentance. He also pointed people to Jesus, whom he referred to in John chapter 1 and verse 29 as the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is the gospel, isn't it? The Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This speaks of the cross where Jesus sacrificially laid down his life for sinners. And when Jesus began his public ministry, what did Jesus preach? According to Mark chapter 1 verse 15, he said, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. These are the words of Jesus. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Again, the two go together. Can you see how important both are? A change of mind and faith in Jesus. The Apostle Paul recognised the importance of both. For example, when he called the elders of the church in Ephesus to him, that's in Acts chapter 20, I think, when he called the elders of the church in Ephesus to him, this is what Paul said to the elders concerning his ministry. I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, 
testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what the Apostle Paul had taught the elders of Ephesus. He, he taught them by his actions that he preached, um, that repentance towards God and faith towards the Lord Jesus Christ. Someone else who knew a thing or two about the twin graces of repentance and faith was Mr Spurgeon who said, Faith goes hand in hand with repentance. Neither will be of any use without the other. Trust Christ to save you and lament that you need to be saved and mourn because this need of yours has put the Saviour to open shame, frightful sufferings and a terrible death. If anyone knows anything about how terrible the death of Jesus was, it must surely be the Christian. Speaking of which, we can consider repentance as a Christian. Not repentance to become a Christian, but repentance as a Christian. If you are already trusting in Jesus as a repentant sinner, and maybe you've been trusting in Jesus for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years or more, then you rejoice because you have forgiveness for all your sins, past, present and future sins. You have everlasting salvation. Praise God for that. However, at the same time, you experience, I say you do, you ought to experience heaviness of heart because you continue to sin against your heavenly father. Not some unknown God, but you sin against your heavenly father who sent his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to, to pay the debt of your sin with his own precious blood. And that weighs heavy on your heart. As a Christian, rejoicing in all that you have in Christ. You don't cancel out one for the other. You have both things going on in you. It is possible and it should be the reality, the rejoicing and the lamenting. Both of them. The fact is that even though the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you from all your sins, you nevertheless lament the fact that you still do the things that you shouldn't do. Been there? Got the badge? Doing the things that I shouldn't do? And you lament the fact that you don't always do the things that you ought to be doing. Yeah? We've all been there again. Christians. The Apostle Paul was so grieved by his own sin that with a repentant heart, and this is about 30 years or so after he became a Christian, the Apostle Paul said, O wretched man that I am. But he didn't stop there. He was also a man of faith. And so it was that he said, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Both things going on there. Wretched man, there's the repentance of the Apostle Paul. But then he appealed to the gospel. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Also, 
let's not forget that Jesus taught his disciples, Christians, to pray, forgive me my trespasses and deliver me from evil. This is a prayer for Christians. You don't expect the Muslim to pray that or the atheist. This is what Jesus taught Christians to pray. Forgive me my trespasses. If you are anything at all like me, those words of Jesus are your daily prayer and even on your deathbed, you'll probably be repenting and praying for the forgiveness of your sins as you rejoice in your great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Spurgeon said, Repentance is the daily and hourly duty of a man who believes in Christ. Again, not the, not the one who is not a Christian. It's the hourly duty of a man who believes in Christ. If you want to ask someone about repentance, ask a Christian because they live it out every day. Repentance. And as we walk by faith from the wicked gate to the celestial city, so our right hand companion all the journey through must be repentance. Why, dear friends, the Christian man after he is saved repents more than ever he did before. For now he repents not merely of overt deeds but even of imaginations. He will take himself to task at night and chide himself because he has tolerated one foul thought. Because he has looked on vanity, though perhaps the heart has gone no further than the look of lust. Because the thought of evil has flitted through his mind, for all this he will vex himself before God. And were it not that he still continues to believe the gospel, one foul imagination would be such a plague and sting to him that he would have no peace and no rest. When you think about it, I trust you can see that not only does faith come to an end at death, obviously when you die as a Christian, your faith is replaced with sight when you enter into the presence of Jesus and you behold his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, the one who is full of truth and grace. You see him as he is. How wonderful that will be. But not only does that faith come to an end at death, but so too does repentance towards God come to an end at death, and certainly not before. Not before, at least it shouldn't do. Finally, there seems to be quite a few people within the churches who lay claim to believing in Jesus, but they don't really seem to have a testimony of godly sorrow, a sorrow that works repentance unto salvation. If they do have one, you don't hear it. I say that because all too often you hear people saying that they invited Jesus into their heart or else they repeated the sinner's prayer or else they enrolled on a course such as Alpha but there's no mention of repentance. 
I'm not knocking any of those things. And for what it's worth, I answered a so-called altar call myself. And as far as I can remember, I repeated some kind of sinner's prayer at the front of this big church that I was invited to, along with a load of others who had answered the altar call. But all of those things are external And I hope you can see that there has to be an internal work of God who grants repentance and who fills unbelieving hearts with faith. These are all the work of God and they can rightly be considered as graces of God, unmerited gifts of God, repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. When that is the reality, there will inevitably be evidence of that repentance and and faith in Jesus with the child of God earnestly seeking not to do his will, but rather to do the will of his great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who loved him and who gave himself for him. And may that be the reality in our lives, Christian friends. And any of you in here now who perhaps thus far have not received Jesus as your saviour from sin, if your heart is heavy in you because you recognise I've been doing my own thing for too long now and I've in so doing I've been rebelling against almighty God, then repent and believe the gospel in Jesus' name. Amen.